2: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded.
3: Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women to
1: Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams.
3: Women to Watch. Sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world.
4: It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change.
3: Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving
5: what you have been given.
4: Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead and by shining a light on those doing it well today my hope is that more women will find their own voice
3: now here's the owner founder and host of women to watch sue
4: rocco hello everyone and welcome back to another week of women to watch i'm sue rocco and it's so great to be back here with all of you Uh, a quick reminder to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors These are all women leaders within their companies and organizations who bring news, inspiration, and expertise from their industries to the show each week. And we're very grateful for the support of our sponsors. As we continue to expand into new markets, we're always looking for new women, or more women, I should say, to become a part of the show. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email laura at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And don't forget as well to pick up the podcast anytime by visiting womentowatch.net and sign up for our newsletter so you can stay in the loop and see who's coming up each week on the show. So now I am thrilled and honored to welcome to the show Sherry Costantini. Sherry is the CEO of Avant Healthcare, an international nurse staffing company And I'm very excited to have her with us today. Joining us from Florida, I believe. Yes. Is that where you are today? Sometimes you never know if people are traveling.
6: Yes, I'm in Orlando, Florida.
4: In Orlando. And how is it there today?
6: Uh, It's our typical uh, summer afternoon. So we're having a thunderstorm now. And that'll clear out in a few minutes. And then the sun will come back out. Right, right.
4: Well, we don't hear it, which is good. Um, So I want to hear a little bit about your um, early life, the young Sherry, and I understand you grew up in Boca Raton, Florida, yes. one of six, which says something right off the bat. That's a lot of kids running around. Um, and I read that you said, you know, growing up in a family like that, the youngest, were you the youngest? I was or third from the top. Third from the top. Um, but that it really taught you how to speak up and, and ask for what you want. Talk a little bit about that and, and how that has kind of carried over to your career and helped you as an adult.
6: Yeah, you know, I, I really think that it's important for people to look back at how they were raised. It, it, it so heavily impacts who we are today. And so I look back at being one of six, born within eight years, so even more chaotic in the home. Um, and and also uh, being sandwiched between uh, my four brothers and it it really you know we were all uh, needing to have our own voice because things would get very chaotic my father was a pastor and so his job wasn't just nine to five it was seven days a week it was whenever the parishioners called and needed him my mother was an educator and built the early childhood school and program at the church Um, And so, you know, growing up, we really took care of each other, and we learned a lot of important survival skills uh, in that home, Um, but it was a home with a lot of love and, and a strong faith. And, um, and so it was a, you know, it was, it was a great foundation for me.
4: Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the, your mom and dad's parenting style, because, you know, when people hear the child of a pastor immediately, they think, oh my gosh, well-behaved every moment of, of every day. And mom's a teacher. Um, did, did that kind of feel like pressure for you as a kid or, um, maybe, maybe you had freedom because there were so many siblings around?
6: Yeah, I think it was more of that. There was more freedom. You know, I I, you know, we grew up in the Lutheran Church. Perhaps another faith may have been a little bit more restrictive. But uh, I just I think that because there were so many of us uh, that we did have a lot of freedom. And, you know, that I mean, both of my parents were in very demanding positions. Um, you know, and, and they were around the house, but like I said, they worked a lot and the church was kind of an extension of our family almost. So, you know, it was, it was an interesting way to grow up, uh, but, but did not feel uh, constrained or or really restricted because I was a pastor's kid yeah I'm probably one that they say oh you got to be careful of that <laughs> and that was more because of the influence of four brothers right so. <laughs> <laughs> well that can be
4: helpful later in life right I do think having brothers um, allows us to you know know boys men help you, you know, speak with uh, men, which, you know, in your industry and your career, um, there were oftentimes when you were probably the only woman in the room. Would Mm -hmm. you say that was true, that it helped you in that way?
6: Absolutely. I mean, I was, uh, I feel that growing up with brothers prepared me to Kind of live in a men's world, and although I'm in healthcare, and there are a lot of women, there's also a lot of men. And when I got out, especially into the investment world, raising money, private equity, um, that type of thing, that's very much a man's world.
4: Mm. Um, I went something very um, poignant about your upbringing was that you were in and out of the hospital with a couple of illnesses that. I believe or read, you know, really led you to pursue a career in healthcare. Can you talk about that?
6: Yeah. So I I was a pretty sick child. I had um, uh, a really um, bad case of chickenpox when I was three. I broke my arm a couple times. Then I had scarlet fever. Um, then when I was thirteen, I got viral encephalitis and um, what happened with that is that the viral encephalitis attacked my brain stem and so I lost a lot of my motor coordination. I would slur my speech. I couldn't write um, very well. I couldn't walk very well. Uh, So I had to relearn a lot of those skills, uh, motor skills, and it was really at a very formative time. I mean, I don't didn't realize it at the time. But when you're 13 years old and you're in eighth grade and you're going on to high school, uh, that's a pretty impactful time Mm. to, you know, have an illness like that and then go into um, special ed, um, physical education classes and things like that. It was, you know, it was a really uh, tough time as I look back on it in hindsight.
4: And, you know, how, how did your um, 13, I would never want to go back to 13 as a girl. <laughs> Not in a million years, you couldn't pay me. Um, and you're right, it's, it's uh, you know, it, we're just trying to figure out who we are. And, you know, um, so how was it your peers, how did they treat you and how, how did you deal with that?
6: well you know i think i looked sick because right on the heels of viral encephalitis diagnosis i got a stomach virus and i dropped down to about 65 pounds and so i was really thin and um and so i just looked different and i think that you know people were standoffish because of that as well as being in the special ed classroom and so it was a really tough time um And, you know, I don't really look back on high school with fondness. I'll just say that it's, you know, I survived it. (laughs)
4: Yeah, yeah. So the confidence and uh, because we're going to talk about, you know, starting this company takes a lot of confidence and courage, especially when, you know, when I want to talk about the fundraising and asking for money, um, when you kind of developed that belief in yourself to be able to do that. And maybe we can talk about that when we come back from the break. Stay with us and we'll be back with Sherry Costantini, the CEO of Avant Healthcare, uh, again an international nurse staffing company stay tuned for our watch team we'll be right back
3: now the women to watch health watch
4: for health
7: watch I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie this morning on your radio doctor we spoke with Dr. Len Gomella, chairman of urology at Jefferson about prostate health the prostate is a walnut-sized organ under the bladder The urethra is the tube that leaves the bladder, runs through the prostate, which adds fluid to help sperm flow through the penis. These organs are connected, so blood in the urine could be from any of these areas. Though prostate cancer is the most common cancer diagnosed in men, it often grows so slowly that men die of other causes before they have symptoms. The PSA test, PSA is a protein made by the prostate and found in blood tests. If elevated, it doesn't always mean you have cancer. It can go up with infection or recent trauma. So Dr. Gamela said, before we worry, we always tell the patient to not ride a bike or have sex for at least two days, then repeat the PSA. Risk factors for prostate cancer include age, family history, look for relatives a father or brother who was diagnosed under age 65 also BRCA gene carriers, and African-American men are at higher risk. Benign prostatic hypertrophy, enlarged prostate. It happens in most men. 60% of men by age 60, 80% by 80. The enlarged prostate can press on the bladder, making it harder to empty, causing urgency, urinary frequency, worse yet getting up at night or incontinence. Some have a slow stream, even dribbling. Many treatments can make you more comfortable and prevent complications like bladder infections, stones, kidney disease, and BPH does not increase your risk for cancer. See a urologist with severe pain or symptoms if you're under 45 with symptoms. Blood in your urine, even only once. That's not normal. An elevated PSA, burning, or incontinence. These could be symptoms of more serious conditions including cancer of the bladder, prostate, or kidneys. If you do have frequency, cut back on caffeine and alcohol that make you go more often and double void. After you empty, wait a moment, then try again. Don't strain. As they say in Paris, oui oui.
3: Now the women to watch, Military Watch.
8: Hi, I'm Carol Egert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. As we all know, June is Pride month, and pride is all about inclusivity, self-expression, and solidarity. But what many people might not know, however, is that an army veteran created the rainbow flag that symbolizes LGBTQ pride across the world. Gilbert Baker was a Kansas native who was drafted to serve as a surgical nurse in the Army, but he was honorably discharged in 1972 and decided to stay in San Francisco where he had been stationed. This was in the midst of the gay rights movement, but there was no symbol to represent the LGBTQ community. One of the biggest advocates for a symbol at the time was Harvey Milk the city supervisor of San Francisco and the first openly gay official in the U.S. Well, Milk approached Baker with his desire for a symbol, and Baker came up with the idea of a rainbow flag to represent the eight values held by the gay community. Pink stood for sexuality, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for art, indigo for harmony, and violet for the human spirit. Although there have been many iterations of the flag since, it was Baker who brought the idea of the rainbow flag to life. At Comcast NBCUniversal, we stand with the LGBTQ community in celebrating pride all year long. Xfinity X1 and Flex customers can enjoy the first-of-its-kind largest collection of diverse LGBTQ TV shows and movies, either at home or on the go with the Xfinity Stream app, including an expansive Pride is Everything collection. All you need to do to get started is say pride into your X1 remote.
3: This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210
4: WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I have with me today Sherry Costantini, the CEO of Avon Healthcare. And um, just before the break, you know, one of the things I always love talking about is kind of figuring out when and where my guest Developed that confidence um, and belief in themselves to get to the level that that they have, and I'm wondering if you have a, a an experience or a moment where you felt that happened for you um, in spite of what you went through as a teenager.
6: Well, you know, interestingly enough, I grew up with my parents always encouraging us, you know, giving us the sense that we could do anything that we really put our mind to, and. Um, I don't remember exactly when my mother shared this story with me, but she told me that when I was in kindergarten that they had a parent-teacher conference and the teacher told my parents that you know, as a very average student that you know, they could expect kind of average work from me. And, um, and so my parents talked about that and they said, my gosh, she's five years old. Sherry can do anything, you know, any of our children, you know, we don't want them to be limited, especially, you know, not at that age. And so they really did encourage me. um, And I just, you know, I come from a very entrepreneurial family now. So obviously we all got that similar message growing up. uh, But, you know, I definitely took that from a younger age that if I worked hard, uh, I could do something that I put my mind to. And then, of course, the viral encephalitis, you know, that, you know, coming back from that, you know, coming back from it physically, um, emotionally, uh, academically uh, was, was challenging. Right. And so when I look back, you know, even on my professional journey, you know, I, I take each challenge or failure as a learning opportunity and, um, and, and it kind of helps me get through the next thing because I've already done all these really hard things and I've survived. Right. Um, Yes. So, yeah, that's a great, great outlook. Um,
4: so you did go. To nursing school, and you also decided to get a master's degree in business. So, did you always know that you probably wouldn't stay, you know, in the clinical part of nursing, and and that perhaps one day you would be leading a healthcare company?
6: Well, I knew I didn't want to stay in nursing. I um, so when I was in high school. One of our parishioners was the administrator for a local hospital and I had asked my dad if he would talk to him about me doing an internship. So I did that um, when I was a senior in high school and I thought I wanted to get my business degree and get my nursing degree and then my business degree and go run a hospital. Um, but then I worked in a hospital and it really wasn't the, quite the environment I wanted to, to live in professionally.
4: What was it about that? Was it, was it the patient interaction or was it the
6: um, operations? I think it was the nurses, quite frankly. Um, I grew up with four brothers. I lived with some of my brothers in college. And, um, you know, I started on this nursing unit and I was shocked at how these women treated each other.
8: Wow. And there
6: is this saying in nursing that we eat our young. It is the number one profession for bullying and wow. yeah I know wow. isn't that crazy yeah, I've never heard that before yeah and so I just said okay I still want to go into business but I don't want to do hospital administration hmm and so I left that and I went into I, I had hospice was my first job out of clinical nursing Um, I had to go and educate discharge planners and physicians on the hospice benefits. And then I went into home care. And home care is where I was exposed to international healthcare staffing. And so that's really how I got connected to healthcare staffing. But I definitely knew um, from early on in nursing school that I wanted to take that technical degree and put the business on top of it.
4: Mm. Um, I wanna share a quote um, you said, when it came to starting a business, I always thought big and never let gender be a factor. So I love that. And I, you know, what would you say to a woman who's listening that is thinking about, you know, entering a predominantly male industry or perhaps starting a business and there's just that, that you know, um, hesitation?
6: Yeah, you know, I am very active in the community with women entrepreneurs and with, you know, women that think they want to start a business. And there's a tendency for some of these groups to focus just on women, women uh, lawyers, women uh, investment bankers, women um, PE firms. And I actually had, I think, female, female advisors in so many different ways but I never limited myself to that. I always looked at who would be the best partner, who would be the best advisor. And I think that's important for women to keep in mind is that you need to look at the best people for the job, whether it's, like I said, an investor, a partner, an advisor, or an employee. And, um, and so that would be the advice that I would give to people.
4: And do you remember, the? Um, I know that while you were working as a nurse, you recognized the need for a better process for nurses coming um, from abroad.
6: When did that light bulb go off? Well, that light bulb went off um, with a nurse that we placed in a children's hospital. And I was in international nursing at the time. And we placed this nurse that came from Great Ormond Street Hospital in London, a very prestigious pediatric hospital who had eight years of neonatal intensive care unit experience. But that nurse in London was not doing uh, IVs uh, or catheters for the baby.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? doctors would.
6: And so what I found is that the nurses here in the US didn't understand the practice differences. And back to my earlier comment about bullying, they all judged her as being a lesser nurse. Mm. And so I had decided that if I was going to start my own company, which I did, I was going to do it differently. I was going to help that nurse understand the practice differences, and I was going to help that client understand the practice differences and just really align those expectations.
4: Yeah. I I want to talk more about that when we come back, you know, exactly um, what Avon Healthcare does and how it's different. Uh, stay with us for our watch team, and I'll be back with Sherry Costantini, the CEO of Avon Healthcare.
3: Now, the women to watch. Tech watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting
5: Group. As an entrepreneur and owner of a small, fast-growing company, the incorporation of technology to help run our business is always on my mind. The investment of new tech applications for a company is a big undertaking, so investing in the right technology that works and can grow with your company is vital so that a couple of years from now, you're not throwing money out the window and starting over. There are many things to consider. What day-to-day functions take up the most time, is done manually, and reporting is tedious? Can these items be automated for quick visibility when trying to make business decisions? Will the investment in the technology give you an edge over your competition and move your company forward? Once you can answer these questions, make sure that the right people in your company help you vet out the right technology. If you're a small business, that person may be you. So look for applications that need little customization but can easily configure to your business needs. You don't want to have to invest in something that needs heavy customization to get it to do what you want it to do because the technology needs to grow with you and you don't want to have to replace the technology down the road because it was so heavily customized it's too hard to maintain. Don't just shop for price. Shop for functionality, ease of use, return on investment, and make sure that the application can generate reports that allow you to see trends in your business. Include the people from your business that will be using the application daily and will be responsible for it. Make sure that the application has built-in security features. Most important, shop for a technology partner that understands your industry and your business needs. Vet out a few and ask for references. For more information on this topic, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com.
4: Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T.
3: Now, the Women to Watch, nonprofit watch.
9: Good evening, Women To Watch listeners. I am Cheryl Mackey, lead of financial empowerment at United Way of Greater Philadelphia in Southern New Jersey. Earlier this month, I mentioned that I would highlight two of our partner agencies uplift the solutions and you Lift use. Unfortunately, this month only had, had four weeks in it, the nerd, <laughs> and time got away. But I will highlight both organizations soon. This evening, I would like to share a blog I wrote for our year-long Stronger Together series commemorating the 100th year anniversary of this local United Way. Throughout the year, I will share blog posts from others celebrating this wonderful milestone. Well, on that note, here you go. Growing up in Philadelphia, I always had a sense that United Way was integral in helping communities locally. So when I was asked to be a part of a giving campaign at my first job after grad school, it was a no-brainer. Back then, when you made your commitment you would receive a United Way clip-on button. This showed everyone that you gave. I remember being so proud to wear my button. Years later, I was reintroduced to United Way, serving as a program director at Utility Emergency Services Fund, USEP. UCEF is a longtime community partner of United Way, providing housing stability to families with children enrolled in the school district of Philadelphia. Our missions aligned in the fight against poverty, and the relationship between the two organizations felt like a true partnership. While I cherish my time with UCEF and felt incredibly proud of the work we accomplished. I was ready for a change. In 2020, United Way offered me an opportunity to take on a different role in the war on poverty. Now, as lead in the financial empowerment pillar, I get the chance to learn and connect with organizations that are meeting needs in ways I have not thought of. I get to build community between agencies that may otherwise not have worked together, bridging gaps in the network of support. And together we are investing in solutions for housing stability, living wage, asset building, and financial literacy so everyone has the chance to thrive. I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't know about the United Way, but after years of working alongside and now within the organization, I have a whole new appreciation for the work being done here. I know when I work alone, I can be productive and make a difference. But when I add one person, my impact does not double, it increases exponentially. Imagine what happens when we all work together. There is power in unity. Thank you for listening. To so follow along with our year long Stronger Together series that will feature insights and personal stories of the very people and bodies of work that have made us 100 years strong, please go to United for Impact. Org or follow us on LinkedIn. I am Cheryl Mackey. Have a
3: great evening. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome
4: back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco, and I'm with Sherry Costantini, the CEO of Avon Healthcare. And Sherry, right now, you know, there couldn't be a, um, a more timely and relevant conversation than things in healthcare and nursing. So, something I read that I was surprised, there's actually been a shortage of nursing
6: since 1937. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, there has been an ongoing shortage. We have some years with a reprieve, like in the early 90s when HMOs were um, kind of changing the um, the environment in the hospital. And then with the Great Recession, when we had... Um, about 120,000 nurses over the age of 50 come back into the workforce. Um, so those were really the only times that we didn't have, you know, a shortage over that period of time. That's amazing.
4: So um, talk a little bit about what exactly Yvonne Healthcare does for the nurses that are coming from abroad. That helps them transition, and you know, what kind of training does it give them that they didn't have prior?
6: Right. So we, um, we recruit experienced nurses. Immigration law requires that their education be uh, equivalent to the US, that they pass English proficiency exams at a certain level. Um, and so we, in addition to the things that we need to do to help them prepare, like passing the US licensure exam, we also do a lot around the differences in clinical practice. And I think this is one of the biggest things I have given to this industry as a nurse is saying, okay, I have seen practice in countries around the world, and it's different in every country, and you can put them on a spectrum. And so filling the gap between that practice and what it'll be like in the U.S. is really important. Um, And so we do a lot of that, and that has really transitioned over the years to virtual programs and um, a big skills lab and and um, simulation training and things like that, that we do for our nurse before they get deployed to the um, client hospital in the US.
4: So Sherry, you've been working um, for many, many years in a very heavily regulated industry, and I can't imagine what that's like. Um, would you, have you ever thought about going into politics to, to change the heavy regulatory, you know, issues that slow things down and don't, you know, don't allow things to get done?
6: Yes. So I have been dealing with immigration, um, regulations since really, I started the company in 2003, but since 2005, I have been out, um, active in dc lobbying i taught myself how to advocate um, i helped form a trade association in 2007 i've led their regulatory affairs um, but i find that um, it's very frustrating and i don't know that i would ever look to a career in politics or even in lobbying because you know logic doesn't always prevail Mm-hmm. And I'm more of a business person. And so I say, well, there's a shortage of healthcare professionals. And our latest challenge is that the Department of State has come out with a list on April 30th of how U.S. embassies should prioritize exit interviews for people coming over on immigrant visas. And the last tier are nurses in the employment-based category. Now they didn't specifically call out nurses, but they didn't think about it. And so I have the highest demand I have seen in 18 years in this industry, well really 24 in the industry, the highest demand, I have chief nursing officers that are struggling to have safe levels of care all over the U.S. and I can't get nurses in. So. I don't. I don't know. I, I do know that if I ever go out and start another business, it won't be at the crossroads of healthcare and immigration. That's just far yeah, wow. too too yeah. challenging.
4: <laughs> You're not cut for that, huh? I, I've done I, I certainly it. Been not there. Yeah. Done that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking with Sherry Costantini, the current CEO of Avant Healthcare, and um, I wondered if you have a kind of an American dream story that you can share about a particular nurse. And I'm I'm curious as well. You've been dealing again with um, men and women coming to the United States, wanting to be here, wanting to um, practice here. And, you know, if I were to say to you, why it might sound silly, why do they want to come here? There's obvious reasons. But is there a common theme about why they want to come here? And is there a story that kind of warms your heart?
6: well you know they they all want to come it's part of their american dream um usually for the opportunity to um, have a better life typically to support a family at home or people in their home country as well Uh, a lot of our folks do that but one story that um, you know i did this series during covid it was avant heroes and I would do Facebook Live sessions with them and get our nurses out on contract to watch these to try to remind them during that very stressful time, why did they come here? And I remember this one story of this person, he's from Kenya, and he talked to me about his his village renting a bus to take him to the airport when he flew to the US to come and go through the Avant Clinical Transitions Program. Wow. and then. He said to me, you know, you've not just changed the life of me and my wife and my three-year-old son, but the village back home that gets the money that I return to them. And so it's wow. really, I mean, that's so inspiring. I mean, it's, it's such a blessing for me to somehow create a vehicle that helps people, you know, change their lives, their families' lives, their village life, and, and ultimately the patients that get the care during this tremendous nursing shortage. Right. That Yeah, that really is uh, rewarding.
4: You know, you're not just helping the person that comes, but there's this whole tribe around them mm-hmm. that it affects. That's really wonderful. We're going to go into our last break. Stay with us, and I'll be back with Shari Costantini. Stay with us for our watch team. We'll be right back next is our Coaches Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast.
2: I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coaches Corner. Don't you feel better when you're in control? I think part of having better mental health is learning or understanding how to be more in control. Well, all of your control comes from your thinking, managing what your brain thinks, Understanding why you think something and seeing better results when you manage your thoughts all create better mental health. We feel bad because of how we think about the situation. We feel powerless when we think a certain way, when we blame the things happening to us or blame the things that are going on around us. But what we think is optional, thoughts are choices. So flip the switch from feeling crappy, feeling like you're in a mental health crisis, feeling like you're a victim of circumstance by flipping how you think. First, understand why you're thinking the way you do or why you feel the way you do. I'm not denying that you don't have the right to think or feel that way. But what I want to offer you is this notion of having more control over what you think so you can feel better. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at BJGray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner.
3: Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WDHT.
4: Welcome back to the show. I have with me Sherry Costantini, the CEO of Avant Healthcare and this may or may not be a, an announcement for some of the listeners, but you're going to be stepping down from your role as CEO this summer. That's a big, big deal. My first question is how does that feel? Um, you know, emotionally, are you
6: resolved? Or are you scared? What are you feeling? Uh, well, I have mixed emotions. I'm, I'm excited. I, you know, currently work in the community with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, with different organizations that support people that want to grow big companies and and so i'm excited for the opportunity to continue to work with them and maybe dig into one of those companies so that's really exciting i think there's a piece of me that um is sad to leave my team i mean i love the mission the stories you know getting an email with a poem that a patient wrote about our nurse I feel like I'll never work in an environment where the mission is so powerful. Um, but you know, I want to take all of these skills that I've learned and and use them somewhere else to make an impact, to change lives. You know, maybe I, not a, a company that I had the dream for, um, but but where I can make an impact. And I found a great home for Avant Healthcare. They're with the third largest uh, healthcare staffing company in the country. The company is an industry leader in the strongest operational and financial position they've ever been in. So it was, you know, professionally, it was the right time for Avant, um, but it's hard. It's hard leaving the people.
4: Yeah, it's it'll be a big change. Uh, you know, I wanted to mention, you've been managing um, a s- staff, a company with over 250 employees and during this incredibly stressful time, what is your mantra? What is your go-to, tell myself in those scary, stressful moments?
6: Well, uh, you know, as we kind of uh, venture into the unknown, like we did with COVID, um, you know, what I would do is I would tell myself and I would tell my staff, about all of the challenges we've previously had and how we prevailed. Now, over this this past year, you know, I feel like I've always brought a warmth to the people I lead. My leadership style. I you know, I'm I'm a very I'm a driver and I'm very intentional in how I lead and what I do, but I care about people and I want them to know I care about them. And COVID was an opportunity to really, you know emphasize that with my staff, to say, I know how hard it is. I didn't have kids at home that were on virtual school. I didn't have a spouse that lost a job. Um, and so it was, you know, it was a tough time. And so when I led those people, and that's aside from our field employees that were struggling in the hospitals caring for patients, I just tried to take a softer side and be more encouraging and encourage them to take care of themselves and to you know, think about their mental health. I think that that's you know, another thing that I really tried to do.
4: You know, um, there's advice that you've given to women over the years, and, and one of the things that um, I'm assuming you learned yourself was to not take things too personally. Um, you know, when did you learn that? And was that something you struggled with previously?
6: Yeah. So that was like a midlife type uh, aha moment is that, you know, people's behaviors are oftentimes because of, you know, what's in their head, what what their life has taught them. And so, you know, as a leader, if I'm able to say that this person is reacting and their reaction is more about them than it's about me, that's an important thing. It's important for all of us to separate that, and it's helped me in my parenting. It's helped me in my uh, relationship with my spouse, and it's helped me as a leader. Um, and I've also encouraged people that I've seen struggling to to think about that too. Um, you know, I think it's there's a lot of power in being able to separate people's behaviors and reaction to you from what you've just done. Um, to say it's not necessarily about me, it's more about them.
4: That's very common, very, very common, and it's hard to do, especially people close to us, right? Strangers, it's easy to dismiss. Sometimes it's harder with family and good friends. Um, We just have a minute left. Is there anything you can share with our listeners about um, what you're excited to be doing once you're not leading this big company?
6: Yeah, well, I'm excited to continue my work in the community, my charitable work, um, and I'm, I'm excited to look for a place that I can make an impact, that I can share the lessons learned. You know, I read this book, I'm, you may have heard of it, it's called The Purpose Driven Life. And you look at, you know, what's, what's God's purpose for me? I come from a family of faith, and I believe that um, my purpose is leadership. And so I just need to find where my next uh, project place is that I'll make an impact as a leader.
4: Yeah, that's exciting, isn't it? So, you know, mm-hmm. it's it hasn't landed yet, but it will. And, and mm-hmm. you just have to be open for it. I, I thank you so much for being with me, Sherry, and I wish you continued success.
6: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Sue.
4: That's it for another week of Women To Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Dr. Nicole Sapphire radiologist at Sloan Kettering, and a contributor for MSNBC and Fox News. Have a great week, everyone.
2: Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. Not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.